Well, hello, North Church. Usually I get at least one hello. What's the matter with you people? Um, typically, this is the part of the, uh, of the night where I say we continue in our series in Mark, but tonight is an atypical night, so I will not say um, we are, if you were here last week, we talked about repentance last week's of Mark uh, in chapter 6 where Jesus gathers the disciples and he sends them out two by two, giving them two distinct things to do. First, to go and preach repentance, and second, to go and heal. So Christ sends them out with uh, the authority to heal and to cast out demons and also to preach this, this thing called repentance and and command people, tell people to repent. We talked also about uh, the whole life of John the Baptist. His message was to proclaim and believe. Give a sermon. What do we do now? Repent and believe the gospel. Repent and believe the gospel. And that's what Christ always was saying as well. And so it, it does us good to think about what it means to repent. And that's what most of the message last week was, was about. So I just wanted to, to stop and think about this, this concept of repentance. And if it was the, the sole message of Christ, and it was the sole message of John the Baptist, and the sole message of the disciples, it is essential for us to come to grips with what it means. And so we'll spend probably the, the first few minutes tonight uh, sort of adding to our definition of what repentance is, and then... We'll think and talk a little bit about what, uh, how to do, how to repent. So many times, I think I'm guilty of it a lot as as a preacher. I come and and I, I, I preach uh, emotion, and we, we think and we talk and we say, yeah, that's a good idea. Uh, but a lot of times, preachers don't give you practical steps. And I hope tonight to give us some some tools that we can use to apply this this concept to our hearts, and we can go and in the quietness of our our bedroom or our car on the way to work or in the shower or, or some way, we can leave here tonight with some tools to teach us what it means to repent and, and how to repent. So I want to go back over real quickly just the, the two main themes and thoughts from last week about what repentance is. We talked from Acts 11, uh, 18, where it says uh, the Gentiles uh, were granted a repentance unto life. And we talked about how... Repentance leads to life. Repentance isn't just about laying, laying us and leaving us in our guilt. It's more about leading us to life. And then, more than that, it's granted. It, they were granted this repentance unto life. And this word grant simply means to give. And, and it's a gift that's giving. It's not something we can attain for ourselves or muster up the courage or power within ourselves to, to get. It is a gift from God. Spurgeon, we quoted him, he said, Repentance is a grace. Repentance is a gift from God that we do not deserve. But the, the thing that I, I want to remind us of the most is the actual word for repentance. The Greek word is metanoeo, a compound word, meta and noeo. The word meta is the same prefix that we have in the word metamorphosis, and something changes its structure. A metamorphosis of, of a caterpillar to uh, a butterfly, it ceases to be a caterpillar and becomes a butterfly. So change happens in its structure. And so repentance is the first step, the first process, is a complete and total 
change. And then noeo is, is mind. It's to understand. It's thinking. So we undergo. When we repent, and it's not something we gather our strength to do, when we repent, we change our mind. It becomes different. Just like a caterpillar to a butterfly. We have different thoughts about religion, different thoughts about and different thoughts about guilt, different thoughts about God and religion and the gospel. All these things, God changes our mind. And so, I want to talk tonight. That's the all the background that we need to get into the message, to, to get into to what we think about repentance and what it means to repent. So I want to say a, a couple of things, a couple of different illustrations, thinking about religious repentance versus gospel repentance. You got that? What, what's the difference is religious re- repentance versus gospel repentance. Tonight we'll talk about it and hopefully at the end of the night we'll have some very practical tips to practice religious, not practice religious repentance, but instead practice gospel repentance, gospel-centered repentance. And the point of it is that our mind is changed, our understanding is changed in such a way that no longer is the, the attraction, the shininess, the brightness of sin drawing our mind, but our mind has been changed that the attractiveness and the brightness and the glory of Christ and the cross is that which draws. So we have two ends of the spectrum, both bright and shiny. One leads to life, one leads to death. It's the sin of this world versus the Christ and, and His cross. So hopefully at the end of tonight, we will come to a place where we are so enthralled with the gospel in Jesus that everything else in our life pales in comparison. So religious repentance versus gospel Repentance. First, religious repentance makes much of self. Religious repentance makes much of self. Gospel repentance makes much of God. I want to read you guys a story from Luke chapter 18 where it illustrates this idea, this concept perfectly. Um, probably all heard this parable many times before, but I want you to... So many times we come at it from... Uh, Religion versus sinner and, and uh, different contexts. We bring. Do you realize that every passage of scripture that we read and we study, we come to with some baggage, with some preconceptions. In this passage, typically, we come at that passage with a preconception of this is what it means to be religious and this is what it means to be not religious. And that's what this parable is, is teaching a little bit. But I want us to come to it with the preconception of we're trying to find what it means to repent. And what Christ desires from us when we repent. And, and remember, at the core of all of this, Jesus' message, whenever he preached, whenever he taught, it was about repent. Repent and believe. That's what Christ came to this earth to proclaim. It's what John the Baptist came to this earth to proclaim. It's what all the disciples left being discipled by Christ to go into all the earth and proclaim this message of repentance. So it's vital for us to get to the core of it. If we are to understand all that Jesus intends for us to understand, we must go with vigor, with vitality towards understanding what it means to repent. So let's examine this passage real quick with the, the preconception that we are trying to find what Christ calls good repentance and what he's looking for out of a repentant person. Luke 18, verse 9. And he told this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and treated others with contempt. Stop for a second there. He goes and he's telling this parable to people who trust in themselves. I said at the, at the beginning, religious repentance trusts in self. 
gospel repentance, trust in God. See that here in this verse. He told this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and treated others with contempt. Do you little aside here that doesn't have to do with repentance or, or much about the story. Jesus doesn't talk about people. He confronts them very directly. Who is he telling this parable to? Verse 9 gives us the answer. He told this parable to some who trusted in themselves. He told this parable to religious people who got repentance. He is in the face. So many times we want to talk about people or, or beat around the bush about something. Christ goes right after them and says, this is wrong, this is wrong about you. So now let's get to the core of what he's talking about. Verse 10, chapter 18 of Luke. Two men went up to the temple to pray. One a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. We're all right now sitting in church. We're all right now mostly lifetime religious Let's do our best to connect with the Pharisee and, and not connect with the tax collector. Because if we were to, to get to the truth of the matter of our lives, if we were to, to boil down all the pretense and all the pride and all the, the religion of, of our mindset here, we lean towards the Pharisee a whole lot more than we lean towards this tax collector. So let's do our best not to think that this, this Pharisee is a blue-haired lady who told you not to chew gum and run in church. Instead, let's say that's us. And have our ability to repent and our concept of repentance exploded here. Two men went up to the temple to pray. A Pharisee and the other a tax collector. Pharisee, standing by himself, prayed thus. God, I thank you that I am not like other men. Extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week and give tithes of all I get. Basically, what he's saying is, hey, God, pay attention to me. His religion, his tithes, his, his giving, and, and all this stuff that he talks about. He says, I fast twice a week. My religious activity ought to make you want to pay attention to me, God. Do you see how that's making much of himself? Pay attention to me, God. Look at what I give to you. Look at what I do for you. It is this guy trying to leverage his religion to get God to give to him. And that's not at all what repentance is about. Remember in, in Acts chapter 11, verse 18, God grants repentance. It's a gift that he gives. not something you can muster among yourself. It's not something you can gain for yourself. Hey, I'm going to decide tonight in this room to repent. That's not how it works. God changes your mind so that you can look at him instead of looking at sin. So you can, you can see the brightness and the glory of him instead of the brightness and the glory of, of sin, which leads to death. The, tax, the Pharisee is pointing to himself in this prayer. And, and think for a second, pause for a second, and think about how we repent, how we use our, our guilt, how we use the, the, the conviction of God in our hearts. Do we look at our religion and say, God, look at what I've done for you. Think to yourself and try and figure out what you do. And, and try and find ways in your life where you, uh, you repent religiously or you confess sin from a religious motive or from a religious standpoint. Now, verse 13. But the tax collector, standing far off, would not even lift up his eyes to heaven, 
but beat his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. And I don't want to pass by the punctuation of this. We, in our culture, use exclamation points all the time when we shouldn't use them. Scripture doesn't do that. There's an exclamation point here. There's a purpose for this. This guy is beating his breast. He is making a fool out of himself in a church, in a temple, in a really important, godly, we need to, to wear our ties sort of way. But instead, this guy is beating his breast and calling out to God, begging for mercy, because he knows at the core of him is a desire to choose self, to, to do what I'm supposed to do, to, to, to fight the flesh and to give into the flesh and do what the flesh wants. And he knows that only with mercy, only with gifts given by God, can he choose God, can he go towards God. He beat his breast and screamed, God, be merciful to me. I'm a sinner. See and come to grips with that and beg of God as we try and understand what it means to repent in a gospel-centered sort of way. Beg of God that He would cause you to have this sort of intense desire to remove sin from your life, like this guy. I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. I don't want to get past that. This word justification means standing righteous before God. He is justified. God is just in calling him not... He is justified, which means he, he no longer has sin. And God looks upon him as no longer having sin. This man, the tax collector, is justified. The religious man who relies upon himself, who relies upon religion, does not. That ought to frighten us. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. The tax collector is compelled by his sin to beg for mercy from God. It's the, the difference in these two men is one is aware of his sin and the other is not. Move on to the, the second thought. Religious repentance relies upon self. Gospel repentance relies upon God. Let me tell you what I'm talking about from Hebrews chapter 6, verse 1. I want to walk through this. Uh, slow. Therefore, let us leave the elementary doctrine of Christ and go on to maturity, not laying again a foundation of repentance from dead works and of faith to go toward God. I want to pause and, and parenthetically insert what he means by this doctrine of Christ. It's a quote from John Gill. John Gill is uh, was the pastor for Jonathan Edwards, uh, uh, probably early 1700s Puritan who lived in the northeast of, of the United States. One of the, the founding fathers of religion in this country is John Gill. And he's written a commentary on all the New Testament. And this is his take on Hebrews 6.1. The gospel is the doctrine of Christ, it is, as it is so called. Because Christ, as God, is the author of it. As mediator, he received it from his father. As man, he was the preacher of it. And is also the sum and substance of it. So the doctrine of Christ that Hebrews 6.1 is talking about, we can parenthetically insert, this is the gospel. The gospel that you hear me talk about all the time, that scripture talks about all the time here, is the doctrine of Christ. Who Christ is, what he was, what he was about, showing us that we are sinners and Christ came to this earth to, to, to save us from our sins and, and be the mediator for us, be the go-between for us, be so, 
so that we can come to God and we can get into his presence and, and be in his presence. That is the gospel coming to grips with our sin and coming to grips with our acceptance from God. The doctrine of Christ is the gospel. So let's reread Hebrews 6.1 from this standpoint. Therefore, let us leave the elementary understanding of the gospel. Let us leave the elementary understanding of the gospel and go on towards maturity, not laying, again, a foundation of repentance from the dead and of faith toward God. Stop for a second and let's define and and think about this word maturity. This is something we strive to go beyond. We, We want to be mature people. What does it mean? Merely, it just means it's, it's a more perfect knowledge of the gospel. Let us leave behind our elementary understanding of the gospel and move towards a more perfect understanding of what it is. That's what maturity is being communicated here. We want to leave behind the gospel and, and un, or leave behind elementary understandings, small, we, we, we don't understand all of it, to continually, always be about understanding what the gospel means more and more and more each day. So that's what we want to do. And, and how do we do that? We ask for it. We fight for it. We war for it. We pray that Christ, that God, the Holy Spirit, would bring about in us an opportunity to understand, to see the gospel greater. And it's... Let me, let me read something here for you. We are rising and growing to a fuller understanding of the gospel. That's what it means to be mature which means tearing up the old ideas of repentance and removing them from something that comes with more effort. That's our old understanding of what it means to repent, that we need to put more effort into repentance. Instead, it's something that comes from a deeper understanding of the gospel and leads us to a greater understanding and appreciation and love for who Christ is and what He did for us. There's there's so much there. I don't want to pass by that. I want to come back and and truly understand what that means. Instead of trying harder to repent, what Hebrews 6.1 is trying to get us to do when it comes to repentance is this. Something, repentance, gospel repentance, comes from a deeper understanding of the gospel. Comes from a, a, a more mature, deeper understanding that Christ died for us and Christ and God accepts us because of His death. A deeper understanding of our sin and a greater understanding of what it means to trust and surrender and believe and have faith in who He is. Repentance, real repentance, comes from a deeper understanding of the gospel and it leads to a greater understanding of the love of our God and the love of our Savior. That is the core of what repentance is. And And again, I've said it twice already. I'm going to say it again. It's the core of what repentance is. And Christ's main teaching on this earth, the thing that He came to teach us, is to teach us how to repent and to tell us to repent. So this is the core of of what Christ has called us to do. The the message that Christ has called us to do. Here's a... uh, I was given charge by some guys that that I respect. I respect. About a year ago, I said, I want to learn to be a better preacher. I want to do this better. And to a man, three guys who I respect a whole lot, who are influences and mentors in my life, said, if you want to do this better, listen to a bunch of guys and hear their voice. 
every preacher has a voice. And what that means that every preacher has a voice, it's like the thing that comes out in, the, in, in every message of this particular preacher. There's a guy, if you listen to me much, I talk a lot about a guy that I respect and, and a whole lot about Matt Chandler. Matt Chandler pastors a church in Dallas. And his voice is a voice of, of fracture and shalom. He teaches all the time. If you listen to him all the time, every time, this concept that there is a fracture in us, that sin is created, and Christ came to bring this peace, this shalom, to fix that fracture. That's the voice of Matt Chandler. Every time you listen to him, he brings that voice. Every preacher, every pastor has some sort of voice. The voice of Christ, the voice of John the Baptist, the voice of Peter is repent. So it, we have to pay very careful, very close attention to the voice of the great teacher says repent. So get to the core. That's why we stopped in the middle of our series on Mark and are talking about repentance and what it means. And that's why I focused this week about trying to come up with tools for us to hold on to, to grasp, to get, so that we can not only understand repentance, but do it. And do it in a gospel-centered sort of way and not a religious-centered sort of way. Uh, I want to bring up an image. Kyle, hit that, that image that's on there. Uh, this is a, a picture of a trampoline. Uh, this is... Uh, uh, a chart, graph, whatever, an image, whatever you want to call it. It's a figure to, that was uh, come up with by a guy named Darren Patrick. He pastors the, the journey here in town. And uh, his... I uh, want to kind of walk through this little chart, this image, whatever you want to call it here. Uh, the, the top two things there, I am completely sinful and I am fully accepted. And th- those are, if you've listened to me much, if you've heard me quote Keller, this is the the heart of the gospel is that we are completely sinful and we are completely accepted at the same time. So the heart of the gospel is the top line here. But for us, when we come to grips with being completely sinful, when we see our own sin, when we own our own sin, and we turn from our own sin, those are facets, those are aspects of repentance. And understand this, repentance is a grace. We talked about it all last week and I've talked about it already this week. Repentance is a gift given to us by God. So when we bounce into this trampoline, it's only through repentance that we do that. And it's only through a gift of God that we do that. So coming to grips with our own sin is a gift from God. And it's what repentance is about. And then we drive deep into the, you see the in the middle there, surface sin and on the trampoline as root sin. We can't bounce high in our faith. We can't bounce high up into the fully accepted part. We understand our own sin, and the deeper we go with that, the higher we go. It's the same deal on a trampoline. I could probably jump a whole lot higher than Cooper could jump because I'm bigger and I can bounce deeper into this trampoline. So the deeper we go with our repentance, the deeper we understand our repentance, our own sin, and we own our own sin, and the more we go from from surface level to core level sins, the higher we go on the second level, which is our faith level, which is coming to this full appreciation and understanding that we are fully accepted. So basically, the more we repent, the greater the, the image of Christ is in our lives. The greater the, the treasure, the, the peace of Christ is. And so we have to get beyond our superficial surface sins and go into our core sins, our root sins. And the result of this is, one, the deeper we go, we 
have a greater and greater and greater understanding. Those there on the bottom left. I'm a bigger sinner than I thought, and He is a bigger Savior than I thought. The deeper we go, the higher we bounce, and the higher we bounce, the more we get to experience who God is. And that's the point of, of all of this. Christ came to... He left heaven to come to this earth so that we could experience God. So repentance leads to faith. Remember... In Mark chapter 1, verse 15, Jesus says, repent and believe. The two arrows. Repent and believe. Here it says faith. But the core of it is repent. Own your sin. Believe. Accept who Christ is and what God is and that He fully accepts you. Repent and believe. That is the, the core of, of, of what it means to repent. And, and the next step is to believe. I want to bring, how do we then repent in a gospel-centered way? Here is our chance to have some tools to, to grasp them, to be able to wrestle with them. How do we repent in a gospel-centered sort of way? First, deal in our core sins. To repent in a gospel-centered way, we deal with our core sins. Um, some of you guys have may, maybe heard me tell the story before, but it it, it illustrates what I'm talking about perfectly. Uh, I was at a uh, an Acts 29 conference, which is basically an opportunity for, for church planters that are just starting and church people that are thinking about planting a church to all the way to people who planted a church five, six, seven, ten years ago. This is the what what this conference is. And this guy's talking about uh, repentance, what it means to repent. And at the end of his ser- sermon, he says, another pastor is going to come up and lead you in a chance to to do this with the guy sitting next to you. And it's springtime, and I've got this issue with, with sinuses, and, and I, I have, like, sinus issues, and, and it stops me up. And one of the results of that is that I have just nasty, nasty breath. You guys can all laugh at me. And I'm experiencing it right now. So if you want to know this firsthand, come, like, nose-to-nose, talk with me a little bit later. You'll wish you hadn't. Uh, so the uh, I'm sitting there. And he says, in just a few minutes, I'm going to have you pray and confess some sins and deeply repent of some deep sins with the guy sitting next to you. And my immediate thought is, this guy's going to know that I've got bad breath. And so we stand up to sing, and right in front of me, I see this guy and, and his, his wife is sitting next to him, and in her open purse is, on the top, a, a pack of gum. And I'm like, oh, the Holy Grail. And uh, how can I get this piece of gum in the middle of this song out of this lady's way? No, I can't reach in her purse and grab gum. Can't do that. But he's going to see. He's going he's gonna to smell me. So I'm in a, it's what you call a moral dilemma. Uh, I decided not to reach into this lady's purse. You'll be glad to know that. Your pastor did not go in digging through some stranger's purse uh, and then steal. Um, so the song gets over. I sit down, and the guy next to me, and it's a guy that I'm trying to kind of build a relationship with, a, a guy that, that planted the church uh, a little further to the east of here. Um, so I'm, I'm hanging out with him, and we're starting to pray. And, and he goes first. He confesses some superficial sin, and I confess some superficial sin, all at a, a physical distance from each other. He's... You know, at arm's length because the bad breath situation and all. And so I sit there and I'm thinking to myself, 
wait a second. That whole gum situation is more than just God spoke to me through that. We just got finished hearing this great sermon about repentance and, and getting to our core sins, and then we both just confessed superficial sins. And I understand that me trying to put gum in my mouth is the same thing. I'm trying to cover up something. I'm trying to, to cover, superficially cover, my core problem. At the core of me is a, a disease that causes me to have mucus in my sinus cavity, which causes my breath to stink. I'm trying to cover up the stink instead of dealing with the problem. The problem is that I've got this disease in me, and that's the, the whole point. You guys are giggling at me, but the, that's the, the whole point is, is our sin and repentance and God making us aware of our sin is not so that we can cover it up so that people can, can stand to be next to us. Do you see that? The, the point of repentance is not to put gum in us, but to root out the, the issue, to get to the core of who we are. And repentance is, is this. It brings us down to the core of who we are and we understand our sin and then we come to this knowledge. We, we bounce back up, bounce back high and, and see that we are fully accepted. See that Jesus lived for me, that Jesus died for me and that God sees Jesus in me and all these things and, and Jesus lives in me. We see all that and experience that and we come to the understanding that Christ is so much better than sin. Christ is so much better than the things of this world Offers When we get to the core of who we are, we see that. And no longer do we want to just mess around with putting band-aids on our sin or covers on our sin or don't allow people to get into who we are. We repent deeply and see that there is a deep fracture, a, a, a disease that's in us that causes these things to come out and keep us from experiencing intimacy and relationship with God and intimacy and relationship with people. That's what this fracture that Chandler talked about, and I've always been talking about lately, is that there's a fracture in us which causes damage to the relationship with God and damage to the relationship with people. Every time we sin, that fracture gets wider and wider and wider. And when we repent of our sin, we come to a full understanding that we are at our core wrong and filled with sin. And then we bounce up high with this understanding of faith and our acceptance, and that fracture gets smaller because Christ came to bring the shalom, the peace, the kingdom of God, to bring us together, to fix the fracture in our relationships with Him and with people. That's what repentance brings, because it brings faith, and that brings us closer to, to God and closer to one another. And look around and see that sin in your life doesn't cause fracture and damage in relationships. It does. Every time, every sin causes some sort of fracture in some sort of relationship with you. Think about a, a fractured relationship that you are experiencing right now. Sin is at its core. Think of the fracture between you and God. Sin is at its core. And Christ came and brings repentance and preaches this sermon over and over and over again. Repent and believe. Repent and believe. Because the result of that repentance and belief is relationship with the Father, which is what we were created for in the first place. And relationship with mankind, which is what we were created for in the first place. Understand that. And that's why this 
understanding of repentance is so absolutely vital. Second thing is uh, believe the gospel. Cooper today, Jen went out shopping with the girls. So it was just me and Cooper standing at, at, sitting at home today from about 1 o'clock until the time I came up here. And uh, he was kind of hanging out, playing some games, and I was working on the sermon. And then uh, I stopped and made him some lunch, and we were hanging out a little bit. And then he went back to playing a game, and I went back to working on the sermon a little bit. And uh, he comes over to me and says, Dad, I want to get dressed to go to church. And I said, okay, buddy, that's fine. That's cool. Uh, and he said, I said, Mom, put your, your clothes on the bed that she wants you to wear. And she, he's like, well, I'd like to go and pick out my own clothes. And he's like, Dad, would you be proud of me if, if I went to my bedroom and I chose clothes that, that matched and were good and, and that I, you weren't afraid for me to get dirty in case we played outside? Would you be, would you be proud of me? Would you be more proud of me? And he said that, that phrase, would you be more proud of me, like three times. And I was right in the middle of, of thinking through this part of the message. And I, I just accepted from God the words that I spoke to my son. Cooper, there's nothing that you're going to do that's going to make me more proud of you. I don't care if you go in there and come out in your underwear, or come out in a tuxedo, or come out in whatever. I don't care. And if you know, <laughs> if you know Cooper, he's probably coming out, well, <laughs> in something less than underwear. Uh, but I, I spoke to him, Cooper, there's nothing that you can do to make me more proud of you. And as I'm speaking that to him, God's speaking to me, believe the gospel. This is what happens when we repent. We begin to believe the gospel. The step to repentance is to believe the gospel. That I am... Sometimes we're afraid to deal with our core sins because it's, what, what's it going to do to our relationship with people? What's it going to do to our relationship with God? If we are to believe the gospel, the deeper we go in our understanding of our own sin the higher we bounce in our knowledge of the acceptance. Second step to understanding gospel-centered repentance is to believe the gospel. Believe the second part, that I am fully accepted. That Jesus lived for me. He died for me. He, God sees Christ in me. The third thing is meditate on the cross. Uh, last night... Um, uh, Jen and I were working through a little argument. Uh, I won't share the details of that with you. Uh, not a big deal. Um, but the, the heart of it, I, I sat there and my initial reaction to our argument, our problem, our issue, was to defend myself. I wanted to defend myself strongly, and I did. And then that caused more friction. That caused a greater fracture in our relationship. We were yelling, she was yelling, and she was calm, and then I started yelling, and then she started yelling because I started yelling, and yada, yada, yada. Um, and then I, I, I paused for a second. Somehow there was a lull in the conversation, and I stopped. And, and again, God preached this message to my heart. I stopped, and I looked at the gospel. 
I looked at Christ on the cross. How do you defend yourself in your own rights when you're meditating on the cross consistently? How do you defend your own rights? Whether you're right or whether you're wrong, how do you defend yourself when you're enraptured, enthralled, meditating on the cross? Perfect God-man died on the cross for nothing that He did. The greatest step of repentance that we can do, whatever the sin is that we're dealing with, meditate and think on the cross. See your dead Savior. See your your perfect Savior on the cross. See the cross and see the empty tomb. See the death and see resurrection. See, repent, and believe. See all of those things. That is the core of what repentance is about. I want to... There are two resources that I want to give to you. One is... They're both over here. One is just a single sheet. It's the one on the bottom. Uh, it is three things I pray every morning to help me begin each day centered on the gospel. To help, in other words, three things that I pray every morning before my feet hit the floor that would, God would show me the gospel and I would know how to repent. I would continuously and, and, and always be in a mindset of repentance. It's written by a guy named J.D. Greer. and It's, it's awesome and I encourage you to, to put into to practice daily or weekly life to understand, to center your life around the gospel. And the second resource is one that's on our website. The, a link is on our website. It's All of Life is Repentance. I thought tonight it'd be a great idea to have this tool on paper so that we could take it and, and not have to rely upon getting on a website and you guys finding the website and clicking it and, and reading this. I want to put it in your hands tonight. It's over there. This is a fantastic tool specifically that we can use to, to deepen our repentance and deepen how we... It's written by Tim Keller. And in it, he says this, um, if you clearly understand these two different ways to go about repentance, that is gospel-centered, religion-centered, then and only then can you profit from a regular and exacting discipline of self-examination and repentance. He calls discipline and repentance and self-examination a discipline, something we need to do consistently. I found that the practices of the 18th century Methodist leaders, George Whitefield and John Wesley, great men of the faith, have been very helpful to me here. In a January 9, 1738 letter to a friend, George Whitefield laid out an order for regular repentance. He ordinarily did this inventory at night. He wrote, God, give me a deep humility, a burning love, a well-guided zeal, and a single eye. And then let men and devils do their worst. Here is one way to use this order and the gospel-grounded repentance. So he lays out all those things that he just talked about. The uh, uh, humility and the burning love and a well-guided zeal and a single eye. He teaches us how to do gospel-centered repentance in each one of those things. So here, from the burning love perspective, Keller says this. This is how to, to do it. Have I spoken unkindly of anyone? Am I justifying myself by caricaturing 
in my mind someone else? Have I been impatient or irritable? Have I been self-absorbed and indifferent and inattentive to people? I am guilty of this. You are guilty of this. When we look down upon other people, when we think we're better than them, when we fail to love, when we get an opportunity to serve in the way that I talked about earlier tonight with uh, uh, the, the food bank situation, if we aren't eager to do that, maybe there's a love issue with us because we're not going to serve people in that way. If so, repent like this. Consider the free grace of Jesus. That is, meditate on Him on the cross. Consider the free grace of Jesus until there is, A, no coldness or unkindness. By thinking of the sacrificial love that Christ gave to you, there can be no coldness or unkindness in your heart. The more you meditate on it, the more that disappears. B, there is no impatience. Think of His patience with you. Center your mind on the gospel and patience overwhelms you. And see, there is no indifference. So consider the free grace until I show warmth and affection. God was infinitely patient and attentive to me out of grace. And that has to lead to repentance. So I leave you with these two tools to, to go and study and think through and, and journal about and write about and come to grips with this understanding, this understanding that the deeper we go in our repentance, the greater our relationship with God is. Let's pray. Thank you for the gift of Scripture. I thank you for metanoeo, how you've changed our minds, Lord, and we seek to strongly follow you, God, and you have changed our minds in such a way to show us the the brilliancy and the glory and the the crystal clarity of relationship with you and your son Jesus have faded the things of this world God you have shown us how to turn our eyes upon you God you have granted that to us you have gifted that to us father i pray for each of us that we would engage in a discipline of repentance every day, Father, that we would focus on the cross and see Your brutalized Son, Father. And that would cause us to deeply repent, God, to get to the core of what's causing our problems and not deal in a superficial way because the deeper we bounce, the greater life is. God, I thank You for the promise that You have granted repentance that leads to life, abundant life. Now give us the courage and strength to repent in a gospel-centered way and a deep way. Thank You for Jesus and His sacrifice on the cross. Enrapture us with it. Enthrall us with it. Even tonight. It's in Christ's name. Amen.